You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. (laughs) On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. You do have to move sometimes. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind and the sea, and said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, maybe the greatest thing we could ever say, and it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to say, but it is, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? But that's not the story because they were going someplace. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he broke the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. You want to know why? Because we shouldn't be binding people and trying to subdue them in the first place. That may be more demonic than the demon that was oppressing the man. We don't deal with broken people by binding them. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran And fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, the man tried to say something, but what came out was the demon. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, meaning the man, what is your name? And the man tries to reply, but again, out of his mouth comes the demon, my name is Legion. For we are many. And the demon in the man begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, meaning the demons, begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had been the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Because controlling people are afraid when love does what shackles can't do. Is it okay if we preach a little bit on Father's Day? I feel like preaching a little bit today. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. 
And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region, which is interestingly what the demon was doing at the beginning of the story. If something happens when you read the Bible out loud, just forget this. We got a whole different thing going on here. Like, read it out loud, it's different. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You may be seated this morning. I'm going to do something different in the sermon today. Let's use our imaginations. Happy Father's Day, guys. Jesus is the heart of the Father. Jesus is everything that is in the heart of the Father. When we see Jesus live and act, we see what a perfect Father is like. Jesus is the heart of the Father. We've said this before. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, Jesus is not trying to appease the Father. He's revealing the Father. We have this notion sometimes that Jesus was on the cross trying to change God's mind. Jesus is God. Jesus on the cross is not trying to change God's mind. Jesus on the cross is showing us what God's mind is like. I love you this much. Nothing can separate you from me. And if it does, I will go to this length to get you back. So let's tell this story from the perspective of this demon-possessed man. The Bible calls him in the titles the demoniac, which is just like us, because titles are not part of the inspired word of God, and it's interesting that we label somebody not by their deliverance, but by who they were before they were delivered. It's not right that we call him the demoniac, because he's no longer a demoniac by the end of the story. And we need to stop seeing each other by our worst moments and start seeing each other by our best moments in the Lord. Let's start when this man is young. He has a horrible upbringing. Mom and dad split. He's abused as a child. Doesn't understand how to be social as he grows up. When he's young, it doesn't really phase much because when you're young and kids, they're crazy, they just run around, they're not communicating. They're not judging. They're just playing and living. But as he gets older, what was done to him, and if you're saying this isn't in the Bible, chill out. Let me tell the story. I have the microphone and you do not. As he gets older, it starts to become apparent that he's not like the other kids because a lot has been done to him. And he just doesn't have the same trust, the same charisma, the same social space. He's awkward. It's like one of those people when you go to the movies and the person rips the ticket and says, enjoy the movie, and you're like, you too, because it's awkward, and you're like, wait, you're not going to see the movie. He's awkward. And his friends drop off little by little. He's relegated to the back of classrooms because he gets disruptive 
has some learning disabilities because he's not as social and the precipitating effects of abuse start to just work in his life. So he's put in different classrooms and he doesn't have friends and he doesn't hang with people and he hangs out by himself a lot and he doesn't have the same situation on Father's Day that the other kids have and he just grows up and he's getting more dark and more awkward and more dark and more awkward and then he doesn't find relationship, he doesn't find friends and all of a sudden, you know, the devil doesn't attack bad people, the devil only attacks good people and tries to make them bad and all of a sudden, his demons just start to sort of overtake him and he becomes an adult and he doesn't land a job and he's on the wrong side of the tracks. He lives in the land of the Samaritans. He's in the neighborhood that the Jewish people who have the promises and the Jewish people who have the covenants and the Jewish people who have the blessings and the power and the economy, they never cross this way. So he keeps hearing about rabbi this and teacher that and king this and priest that, but they never seem to come to his side of the tracks, and he desperately needs help. He's spending his whole life saying what Stephanie just sang, have mercy on me, please. He's violent. Confused, angry. No one comes over to his side. The people that hold all the cards stay on their side. But then even his own people on his own side, you can't, you can't be in our community anymore. You can't be in our town anymore. And this man is now so many different things. He's a son. He's a friend who has no friends, he's a son who has no father, he's a man without a job, life pulls at him from every different direction, every time it maybe starts to get better again, the haunting realities of his past come back at him and it falls apart again. Have you ever been in that place before where every time you just crest to the good place and you're finally there, another gust of wind just comes and knocks you right back off and you're like, I'm getting tired of trying. So more angry he gets. And then what do they do? What do they do? They do what all of us do to people who are dealing with something that we can't control. They start to try to subdue, control, coerce, and they bind him. We do it sometimes with rules. We do it with regulations. We do it with judgments. We do it with ousting people. We, we bind people in all kinds of different ways. But the funny thing is he keeps breaking the shackles. Because somewhere deep in the image of God, we are not created to be bound. We're not created to be bound, and somewhere deep within us, we will not allow ourselves to be bound. We will always break the shackles of bondage off our life, because somewhere deep down in that man was a voice that was saying to him, and it was good when I created you. That voice is now suppressed. It's now pushed down by all kinds of abuse, but somewhere in there is a voice that says, you break those chains. You were not created to have those chains on you. I don't want to hear another interpretation of this story like it was good that he was bound. It's not good that anybody's bound. We don't heal people by subduing and binding. We heal people by loving. But just like we celebrated yesterday, just because shackles have been broken and no longer exist doesn't mean the conditions that caused them in the first place are necessarily healed. 
So he starts to hear rumors. There's a guy across the lake who's healing people of their haunted pasts. Now, the Samaritans are Jewish people also. And sometimes we're so biased that we don't realize that. Because when Jesus meets the woman at the well, who's a Samaritan, she says to Jesus, read John 4, our father gave us this well. Samaritans are Jewish also. But they have pigs and stuff. They don't have sheep. They're relegated to the corner. There's no way this guy who I hear about is going to come over here. He can see across the lake a huge crowd forming. Can't hear what Jesus is saying. We preached about it last week, just before Jesus got in the boat. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And he's standing there on this mountain among tombs, trying to break himself free from chains that have been put on him, living alone. His only companions are people who are basically a dash on a tombstone. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus get into a boat. And the boat turns. And other boats join in, and he starts coming. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And just as Jesus is about a quarter of the way over, he sees the macro burst coming in the distance, the dark storm clouds these spontaneous bursts of wind and lightning and rain that happen on the Sea of Galilee quite regularly. And all of a sudden, what looks like fog is really just torrential downpour and rain, and it completely envelops the boats, and he can't see them anymore. Every time I get close, something that I can't control changes the game, and I'm going to end up here another night trying to break free of these things, trying to find something to eat. No one will feed me. No one will love me. I got these crazy voices in my head. I just want to end it. Here's what he doesn't know. This Jewish rabbi will make it through storms to get to you. He will make it through storms to get to you. Jesus doesn't go through storms. He runs to them. He goes to where the storm is and defies it by showing it that you don't get to determine how I live. I will sleep in you. You won't wake me up. We have a mentality that says, I just want to get through the storm. But we have to realize, with God, it's not about getting through it. It's about figuring out where it's bringing you to, not getting you through. We are far too pleased with just getting to the part where our storm is still, that we don't realize you were in it because God was bringing you someplace. It's not about getting to the quiet, peaceful, tranquil part where the storm's finally over and you made it through. It's where was Jesus bringing you in the first darn place, and oh, by the way, he's bringing you to a storm that's much worse than the one you just went through on the sea. See, God brings us through storms because he's bringing us places that without the storm we would never have wanted to go because we would have known him too much. 
What was their phrase at the end of the storm? Who is this that wind and sea obey him? Until they, were, until they didn't know who God was, they never would have let God go to the Samaritans. Peter, who am I? You are the son of God. Okay, now, Peter, will you come with me and die? No, you're not going to go die. You see? And what does Jesus call Peter when he says that? Satan. Because Jesus is saying, you know me too much. You think you know me. And the more you think you know me, the more we get closer to this cross and that part of town. Because you think you know me, you'll think we shouldn't go there. So what does he do? He brings you through a storm to disorient you from him so that we don't rebuke him trying to bring us where he desperately needs the church to be in the first place. With that guy who's got no one to love him and is hoping one of these boats makes it across. You're in your storm right now. You're going through something right now. It's because somewhere just on the other side of it is not your peaceful, tranquil, got-through-the-storm celebration. It's a person who's bound and is needing you to step onto that seashore. We cannot have the mentality that God just wants to get us through a storm. He's not trying to get you through a storm. He's trying to get you to the other side of a place that you would never have gone if it wasn't for that storm. Jesus is revealing that storms don't stop him. And he's teaching the disciples that storms shouldn't stop them. But here's the funny thing. It says it in the text. And other boats went with them. And we know why these other boats were going with him. Jesus says why. You're only following me because you've seen my miracles. You're only, you're, you're groupies, you're an entourage, you don't care about me, you care about everything I'm doling out. That's all you care about. And so we know that the boats following him, these were not spirit-filled, saved believers. These were people who wanted Jesus for all the wrong reasons, or, and I know we don't know anything about this, they're just people who crowd around when they think there might be a fight. And they really cool things down by shoving their phone into the people who are fighting faces. Ron, you're, you're a licensed clinician and all this stuff. That's how you, you de-escalate a fight, right? When two people are about to fight, you take your phone out and start videotaping them. Yeah. And start yeah, screaming loud, nonsensical things. You know, Ron, there's a verse in Acts where it says, and everyone ran into the amphitheater. Some shouted one thing and some shouted another, but no one knew why we're there. That's social media. Everyone just showing up. Ah, Democrats! Why are you even here? How do we, what was even happening? We just yelled. We just yelled something. So Jesus has all these people. Looks like he's got a following. He's got 12 people following him. And then he's got about 300 spectators. But those 12 disciples wrestle with Jesus on a boat. They're bailing water. Then they go to their master and they say, don't you care? Jesus gets up. And he rebukes the wind and the sea. Now, it's funny. When God rebukes things, he makes them peaceful. Is that how we are when we rebuke people? Jacqueline, is that how I am when I rebuke people? More things are more. Did you say no? That's how we are. When we rebuke people, they say thank you. I'm just kidding. I'm being horribly sarcastic. 
He rebukes the wind and the sea, and it gets more peaceful. Because the way God punishes and rebukes is not the way we punish and rebuke. When God punishes and rebukes, the thing gets better. It becomes more of what it's supposed to be. I digress from that point for a moment. But guess what? The storm ended. Did it just end for the 12 disciples? Or did it end for everybody who was following him for all the wrong reasons? Storm ended for them too. Please don't think when you wrestle with God and it feels like no one sees or no one knows what you're going through, your wrestling with him is healing people that aren't even asking to be healed. Following him for the wrong reasons, just wanting a good shot so they could put it on their feed, and the storm ends for them too. Because when the church gets together and wrestles, the world gets better whether we see it or not. This is what's true. Want how I know? Because the Bible tells me so. So they get to the other side. No one, and this is one of the very few stories where Jesus performs a healing and his disciples aren't quoted as having said anything. They're done with the storm. They're like, what just happened? He just yelled at the weather and the weather listened to him. Now, we're over here by the tombs, which are unclean, by pigs, which are unclean, and by Samaritans, which are unclean. You say something to him. Nah, man, you say something to him. How about nobody says something to him? Let's just be here and see what happens. All of a sudden, the disciples become the spectators. Isn't that funny? Jesus gets out of his boat and stands right in the middle of a graveyard, his favorite kind of garden. Graveyards are going to be places where the most beautiful of plants grow when everyone in them starts to wake up in new glorified bodies. So he goes to one of his favorite places. And the minute he gets there, here's what it says. The man broke free of his chains and ran and fell down before him. Now here's what we're about to see. In these next few verses, there is a combination when you read your Bible, and this is kind of like a footnote. So if you don't like to read the footnotes, just ignore this. I'll be back in a second, but here are the footnotes. When you read your Bible, read every single word as if you've never read it before. When you listen to this man speak to Jesus, the tenses go from singular to plural like, like a crazy person is writing it. The man, plural, said, can you leave us? What is your name? My singular name is Legion, for we are many. And the man said, send us into the pigs. You have to see this. Jesus just gets out of the boat and stands there. And this man who has been waiting 
for a prophet, a messiah, a king, a priest, someone with healing power has finally gotten to our shores and I am breaking free of all of the bondages that they put me under. And as he's running to Jesus, that voice throws him back down again. And every time he goes to speak, the light and the darkness are happening at the same time in him. Jesus just stands there. He's in a different kind of storm. And we know that the man ran to Jesus because the man wanted to be with him. But then when the man starts to speak, he's rebuking Jesus. And it says why. Because when the man got to Jesus, Jesus began to try to cast the demon out. So the man running to Jesus, that's all the man. That's the goodness in this person realizing the one who could maybe set me free just got here. Nothing can hold him down. He breaks all of it like Samson's hair grew back. No, no jokes. And then ran to Jesus. But the minute he opens his mouth, there's the darkness again. There's the past again. There's the abuse again. There's the low self-esteem again. There's the brokenness again. And he says, you're tormenting me. And what does Jesus say? What is your name? Revelation says in heaven there will be written on our foreheads a, a new name. Jesus changes people's names. God changes people's names. He uses us. Moses, I've called you by. He wrestles with the demonic oppressive forces by getting to know you better. What is your name? When the man first spoke to Jesus, it was just the demon speaking. Get away, get back into your boat, leave. And now for these next two sentences, it's the man and the demon speaking. Because the minute God said, what is your name, already the man starts to get some agency back. The minute God says, I know everything is messed up. I hear you rebuking me. Your life is in complete shambles. You've made a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes have been made to you. But here's the first, before we get into any of that, what's your name? And immediately, he starts to be a human again. So all of a sudden, now the, the, the singular and the plural start happening at the same time. My name is Legion, for we are many. And the man said, send us into the pigs. When he first speaks to Jesus, it's just the demon. Then when Jesus says, what is your name? It's the man and the demon, because freedom is beginning to happen. At the end of the story, it's just the man. So it's just the demon at the beginning, then it's the confliction, it's the demon and the man talking at the same time, and then by the end, it's just the man saying, the first thing that he said in the text was the demon, leave, begged him to leave, and then the last thing that is said is just the man, begged him to stay. Do you see that? What did Jesus do? He went to the wrong neighborhood to the wrong side of the tracks, to the wrong ethnic group, 
to the wrong part of that wrong ethnic group, touched everything that's unclean, pigs running around them, tombs everywhere. Disciples are like, we're not going to be able to celebrate the Passover for the next 67,000 years. We've touched all this stuff. He, this, this is what he does. He does all of those things and then says, you are many. You have many things going on in your life. Many voices telling you all about yourself. There's moments where you hear my voice and you break those chains. And then there's moments where you hear another voice and you accept those chains back. This could also be us too. Just but I want to know your name. I believe at the end of the Bible, there's a woman standing at an empty tomb in utter and complete broken disappointment. Sees Jesus and doesn't recognize him until he does one thing. Says her name. I'm pretty sure Jesus was the first one to ever put on a poster, say their name. Because all he ever does is says your name. When he says your name, you're not many anymore. You're you. But watch what happens. Something weird happens in the story now. Now. The whole thing's weird. But now, the demons have a request. You ever deal with annoying people and then they finally get caught and now all of a sudden they have requests? Like, no, shut up. What? No. Can you send us into the pigs? Why is that there? Because Jesus is now... See... <laughs> It's not enough to free somebody from bondage. You have to heal the conditions that cause that bondage in the first place. And yes, that is a very loaded statement. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you unpack it. It's not enough just to get a legislation passed. We need to do better and, and heal what caused those bad things to happen in the first place. Because if you just keep putting a Band-Aid on something, eventually it's going to bleed again. So Jesus is now saying, all right, I healed you, but if I don't expose this system that did this to you, you're, or somebody else like you is going to be in this position. Again, I'm going to have to come back across this lake and go through one of them storms again. So Jesus allows these demons to go into 2,000 she uh, sheep, pigs, and the pigs jump off uh, the, the cliff and they drown. And who all of a sudden wants to show up now? Everybody who is making profit. Sophia, not, don't raise your hand. This is not you. You're not part of the story. She's like me. I'm like almost, but no. Raise your hand at the wrong time. All of a sudden, all the little capitalists show up because now their prophet just started drowning. Now all of a sudden they want to go to the tombs. Didn't want to come here to visit grandma, but now that your, your prophet is drowning in the water, all of a sudden now you're interested in the tombs. Now you want to come see how the guy's doing. Funny how when 
It's how good we are until something starts to affect our time, talent, or treasure, and all of a sudden now we want to show up, and now we're very interested in what's happening. So they show up, and why are they afraid? Because demons went into pigs? No, because the man who they've tried to bind and subdue and control and manipulate is now in his right mind simply because somebody said his name. See, when love does what our manipulation can't, we get afraid because it makes us feel out of control. Yo, I know I'm preaching to somebody today. You're just staring at me. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Then they beg Jesus to leave. Isn't that a little coinky-dink? Who was begging Jesus to leave at the beginning? Demons. Who's begging Jesus to leave at the end? Demons. Just ones that now look like me and you. It's funny how I don't really think all the demons went into the pigs. I think a few of them went into the closed-minded bigots that were standing there also. Funny how you want nothing to do with somebody who's struggling that bad, and you criticize him for the things that he's saying and doing, and then when Jesus heals him and you can't celebrate him, all of a sudden you start to act just like the criticism you were doling out. And they beg him to leave. Why? Because Jesus is revealing that the kingdom cannot come if we're not willing to lose our profit. That never gets amens. I can't believe it. I have no idea why it never gets an amen when you say, this one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have, and then you could come be a part of Salem Tabernacle. It's like, you were cool until you just said that. What causes this man to live in such despair that his life is open to the demonic? We all want to say decisions he made because we want to deflect. It's not decisions he made. It's the way the systems of the society around him functioned. They cared more about their own profit than they do about people. And as long as that's the case, we are going to be thrusting people into tombs. And where's Jesus going to go? He's going to go to those places. And when you hear somebody like me, Internet, saying something like this, some of you might say, Pastor Bill, you need to shut up because now you're acting just like them. It's funny how the minute we don't have, the minute you even suggest that the love of God can do what all of our little moralisms can't do, everyone gets so mad. Why? Because we want to be able to know who's out. We are obsessed with knowing who's out. We want a line drawn in the sand. And Jesus writes a line in the sand, only ever writes a line in the sand. And like I've said this before, St. Augustine said, Jesus drew a line in the sand the day that the Pharisees found a woman caught in the act of adultery. How they knew where she was committing adultery is beyond me. Funny how they knew where to look, no? Jesus draws in the sand. It's the only thing Jesus ever writes. He draws lines and sands so that those lines can just blow away. That's why. If your, let's start here, if your legion today, you have so many things going on, pulled in every different direction, please know, for starters, 
that Jesus will go through any storm thrown at him to get to you. That ship will appear through that macro burst. He will make it through the wind. You will see that boat get to that seashore, and he will step out into the tomb of your life, and he will say your name. He will. He knows your name better than you know your name. But he also wants us to realize when he gets you through your storm, it's just because he has you on a boat heading into somebody else's. Be willing to go for others where Christ was willing to go for you. Always. It's not about, what does David say in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. You're on yourself. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me where? Do you notice the minute he gets through the valley of the shadow of death, now he's with his enemies. The minute Jesus caught through a storm, he's with the demon-possessed man. God brings you through darkness because he's sending you into somebody else's so that you can bring what he gave you in yours. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe. Best be the, blessed be the God and Father of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort any who are in any affliction. I passed through affliction and God gave me gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then I bring those gifts to somebody else and say, he got me through it. Now, not just he's, he's not just going to get you through this. He's going to use me to help you get through this. Intercession is only intercession when prayer and action line up, not when there's only one or the other. It's a whole sermon. We'll get there one day. Then the man says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says what? No. Why? Because Jesus just got this man through a storm, and he's now sending him into somebody else's. Go to all these people who just rejected me. Stand in front of them. Say their names. I have a harvest to reap here. And it's going to happen through you. Jesus went through a storm and entered somebody else's. Brought the demoniac through a storm, and now that man entered somebody else's. Got the disciples through storms, and they've entered somebody else's. We're here because disciples and a lineage and genealogy of disciples and Christians continue to go through storms. And we're here. We were brought into the kingdom because somebody got into a storm. Maybe I knew them. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it was a storm in Wyoming that somebody made it through, and somehow the reverberations of what God did to them got to me when I was out being all crazy. Use your imagination. I probably did it. And all of a sudden, somebody got a hold of me. He's like, you dummy, you're supposed to be a pastor. Where'd that thought come from? Maybe somebody from Asia who just broke through. And this voice gets to me. Because you have no idea when you wrestle with God, people who aren't even thinking about him get saved. All the boats, all the boats got to the other side, not just Jesus' boat. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Worship team, come on up. We're going to let the worship team minister to us again. I just want to invite you, however this hits you, there are so many possibilities. Basically, I just retold a story. 
and it hits all of us differently. You have no idea parts of my life that get opened up before God on my own, even while I'm preaching, even while I'm hearing the words coming out of my own darn mouth. I'm realizing my need to be at this altar right now myself for, for, for both the, the perpetrator and the perpetrated. I, I'm always both. You're, you're never David in the story before you're willing to be Goliath, just so everybody knows. Before you can sling stones, you might need to be popped in between the eyes by one. Let the Holy Spirit work on you for a little while. Don't, don't, don't be shifty and start getting your coats on and stuff like that. It's 1120. We're leaving time for the Holy Spirit right now. Everybody's afraid that we might become too Catholic. Let's have a longer service, amen? That's a joke, internet. Listen, that word just let it, that, I hope that word did things that I could never even possibly anticipate. I really do. I hope that, listen, if you're the one who just needs to know, like I know in my head that Jesus' boat is coming into my life, but I just, I need to know it in my soul and my heart. I invite you to be at the altar when this song starts. If you're the one who's binding people because you don't know how to love, and so the more you try to love and not know how, the more you bind, the more you manipulate, the more you try to control outcomes, maybe maybe get to the altar. If this did some third and fourth and fifth unintended thing that I didn't even plan at all ever at any point, and it's working on you, listen, our altars are open now. New York is kind of open now. Things are changing next week in this room anyhow. Let's just get to the altar. Let's get to where we need to be. I want to lay hands on you. I want to pray with you. Our elders are here to pray with you. We got deacons here to pray with you. Elders and deacons, if you need me to pray with you, I'm going to pray with you. But this is where lives change, right? This is where Jesus says your name. This is where healing really comes. So as they minister for a little while before we come to the table, if it's you, if you got those little nerves in you right now, if you got that, is it me? Is it not me? Get here. Be here. Ian and I, every, every week we talk about all the amazing, life-changing moments, knocked over the plants, life-changing moments that happen, just, he and I, just at, at these altars, like, let's, let's come boldly to the throne of grace that was so costly for Christ and so free for us. But I want us to leave here a church that is willing to bring peace and not force to the world around us that wants to get to know someone before it ever judges someone, and that wants people to know, you might not be able to sit at every table, but you are always welcome at this table here. But things in our life need to shift and change so that that isn't just an amen, it's actually a life change. I'm not interested in, in shackles coming off your life. I'm interested in the circumstances that caused them to be healed in your life. So let the worship team minister. If you want prayer, feel free to come to the front. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.